from Red Bull. This is Beyond the Ordinary. Seven and a half thousand kilometers across the desert. 12 days of racing in the toughest conditions on earth. Battling extremes of heat endurance and dehydration. Testing the very limits of your mental and physical fitness. And then there's the sand. Miles and miles of sand. Sand that takes engines to the point of burnout. Welcome to Beyond the Ordinary from Red Bull. I'm Nick Bright and this is the podcast which explores what it takes to go further than others can even imagine. And nowhere is this more on display than in the toughest motorsport event on the planet. The Dakar Rally. Today, we're going to find out what it's like to race in it, what it does to the human body, mind and spirit, let alone the vehicles. Plus, we'll find out who are the ones to watch at Dakar 2021, which gets underway on the 3rd of January. Now, let me introduce you to my co-driver for this episode, Dakar Daily's Caroline Dimoreyes. Kaz, you love this event, don't you? What's your connection then to the Dakar? Yeah, I do love the Dakar. I came to the Dakar to work on it and report on it in 2017 as a complete newbie and I just fell in love with it. It's brilliant because it's not like any other motorsport event and it's not like your average rallying. It's nothing like Formula One when people say, oh, there's Formula One drivers who have been to the Dakar. I'm like, yeah, but this is a completely different ball game altogether. You're racing across thousands of kilometres day after day and you're in the most hostile and testing conditions in terms of the desert climate. It's also a multidiscipline event. So there's not just a car class, there's also bikes, quads, trucks and side-by-side cars all racing across the desert. And anyone can take part, as long as you're over 18, of course. So men and women compete against each other, as well as amateurs and professionals. So the camaraderie among the competitors is really unique. It's so funny, you know, having you here talking about this, because I think one of the very first times I ever saw you doing anything was presenting the Dakar a couple of years ago for Red Bull. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to picking your brains a bit. Yeah, it is. Honestly, it's brilliant. One of my fondest memories, and when people say, oh, what's a memory that stays with you forever? I remember it was my first Dakar. I was in the Argentinian desert and it was just completely dead quiet, silent and out of nowhere. You just said, and just you were eating dust and then it was gone. And it was just back to complete silence. It was, it's amazing. There's no experience like the Dakar. I was about to say, it sounds incredible. I'm very jealous that you've got to experience it, you know, in real life. Yeah. Well, I was going to say there's no experience like it, but I've only been a spectator. I'm sure that if you've actually competed in it, it's uh, to another level. Well, we'll find out because joining us on this virtual journey across the desert to help us navigate our way through the sand dunes and the searing heat of this famous historic race, we're joined by a former winner of the Dakar Rally, currently the only Brit ever to do so, Sam Sunderland. What's going on, Sam? Hey guys, how you doing? I wanted to get straight into my first question then and sum it up for us. What does the Dakar mean to you? Well, it's a bit difficult to sum it up in just a sentence, you know. It's like such a long race and so much goes into it before you even get to the start, you know, with all the preparation, the training, all the effort from the team and the support guys around us. But I still really like sort of the adventure side about the Dakar. You know, as much as I'm a a guy that goes there to race, to win and fight every day with everything I have to try and win, I still like that idea of setting off each morning 
not really knowing what's going to cross your path. You know, it can be 3 a.m. and it's raining outside, it's cold, you set off on your bike and, you know, I'm still in love with that adventure side. You know, I think it kind of goes back to that first time you rode your bicycle when you had some freedom or your mum didn't have to take you somewhere. You were off on your own. You could go to your mate's house. And I still feel that, you know, when you set off on a Dakar rally, each day we don't really know what's going to be thrown at us. The schedule for this event is relentless. I mean, you have some crazy early starts, day after day, and you're riding for 10, 12 hours, maybe sometimes even more. So how do you cope with that? Yeah, you know, definitely uh, the first days are all right because, you know, you're full of energy and motivation. But, you know, by day four, five, six, seven, caffeine is definitely your friend and you uh, become quite reliant upon it. You know, you wake up, have a coffee or Red Bull and set off on the road. And, you know, sometimes it's raining outside, sometimes it's cold. I remember one time, I'm not sure if you were there, Caroline, when we woke up in uh, Bolivia and it was like 4,000 metres altitude, the bivouac was flooded because it rained all night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, your tent was probably floating away. Yeah, it was not fun. I remember in 17, one guy got hit by lightning on the liaison section. And whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> got hit by lightning. Yeah. Was- like, like, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was... Um, it was crazy because we were riding along and it was dry and I could see the storms ahead of us. And I was thinking, I hope we're going left or right in a minute, not into that storm. And yeah, sure enough, next minute we were in the storm and it was just raining like crazy. And then there was lightning going off everywhere. It was Ivan Jakes. Yeah, he got hit by lightning. I think he was more or less all right. Bit of a shock. (laughs) Is he an X-Man or something now, you know, getting hit by lightning? He's, he's fine, you know, he's, yeah, he's cracking on. Permanent hair perm, you know. <laughs> I'm starting to get used to this lingo now, but I've noticed you mentioned the word bivouac a few times. So what exactly is that? So like, if you picture the Dakar race, it goes for 12 days, 10,000 kilometres, and it's like a moving circus. And each night there's a bivouac, which is like a camp as such, where... Everybody has mechanics, support crews, team managers, chefs, masseuses, like the whole bandwagon of the rally. And it goes from A to B across the country and we'll go through the desert and they'll go on the road. So each night you arrive to a different camp. It sounds a little bit glamorous and glorified, but someone said to me, describe what it's like, the Dakar. And I said, you, it's like gruelling and you absolutely hate it but then afterwards when you look back and someone's like Kaz do you want to do the Dakar again I'm like yeah love it absolutely but while I'm there I'm like don't speak to me I'm wet I'm cold I haven't had any sleep I've got to get up I've got to get a plane and you arrive you pitch your tent you go and film you hardly have much food you're just like I can't do this and then afterwards the year on you back yep for the fourth year yeah (laughs) it's one of them things like if you ask a marathon runner at kilometer 44, if they're having a great time, sure not, you know, but it's like the experience that you look back on and you add so much value to that end result by going through all these rough times. And uh, I feel like the Dakar is definitely that sort of case. You pass a lot of rough moments, especially as a rider, you leave the bivouac. I'll say the extreme, I guess you've left the bivouac one morning at 3am and um, you arrive back at 4pm after going through goodness knows what all day, that's quite a long time to be on your own going through all these things that are thrown at you. It's definitely, you definitely have a few conversations with yourself along the way, you know. 
So I guess what truly makes this race unique and unlike any other is not the ridiculous length of it or the distance covered, which, you know, is incredible in itself, but it's actually the setting, the desert. And Sam, you know, you're here to tell us firsthand what it's actually like to battle all the elements that come at you in the desert, the heat, the exhaustion, the unforgiving terrain, but also the thing that I wanted to pick up on in the desert is actually, you know, people associate the desert with absolutely, you know, baking in the desert during the daytime, but then at nighttime, it can get freezing cold there as well. So how do you deal with all of these variables that are being thrown at you whilst trying to concentrate on a rally? Yeah, it's um, for sure. It's no easy task. I'll say the worst so that you can understand the extremity of it. But I remember being on the same day, we was at 5,000 metres altitude and like minus six snowing in Bolivia. And in the afternoon, we were in plus 45 degrees in the dunes of Argentina. So if you imagine the the length of one stage, I think the longest one I had was 17, was 1,250 kilometres. Wow. It's like driving from the south of England to the north. So you can change quite a lot the terrains, the weather, the mountains or the dunes and yeah, that day it was so rough because you can't take a huge big rain jacket with you, big gloves with you, because once you set off in the morning, you've got to carry all that stuff with you all day. So we're always trying to be as light and nimble as we can. And um, yeah, you're either freezing cold and wishing you had more layers on or baking hot and wishing you had like an aero jacket on or something. That's what I think makes the bikes category so unique because... I've always said if I was ever going to do the Dakar, it would be in a car. There is no way I would do it on a bike. You're so exposed. Yeah, it feels like it on the bike as well, to be honest. (laughs) um, I think you're so exposed even if your day goes fairly normal. But if you come unstuck and have a bit of a get off, you've not got seatbelts on, you've not got a cage around you. Yeah, things can go downhill pretty fast. So you know, on top of being tired or cold or hot or dehydrated or, or this, that and the other, you're trying to race and beat, you know, however many other guys that are also trying to beat you. It's a fairly big task trying to juggle it all around, you know, with the navigation, the speed, and you're always coming over new terrain. Like you're not doing laps of the same circuit, which is like most endurance racing. So you kind of know the line. Every time you come over a blind rise, in the desert, you're trying to read if you should stay to the left or the right, or is it stony? Does it look like there could be a river or a washout behind that rise, or is it a sharp corner? So you're constantly calculating what's coming up, and it's like risk management because if you slow down for every one, you'll be five, ten minutes behind at the end of the day, and we're trying to win. So it's definitely quite a few things to juggle about, but I keep saying it all these days and all these things you go through add so much value to it. And sometimes the mechanics or the team manager will ask you, how how was your day? And you just look at him like plainly and like, yeah, it was all right. Because so much has happened since 3am that if you started to explain about it, you, you just get lost, you know? So Sam, you touched on the line. So maybe explain to people who don't know who are listening how important the line is. So at the start of each day, we'll get a road book, which is quite prehistoric. It's like a pirate's treasure map almost rolled up. And we wind it into the bike and we've got like a little electronic button that scrolls each note. And they're basically rally notes, which before we arrived, you know, the organization have planned out the route. And everyone has the same road book each day. 
and we have to navigate off of that and like the basic terms of it would be we have an odometer which counts the kilometers and an electronic compass so it's like zero to 360 degrees and you basically navigate off of you know kilometer one to the right kilometer two to the left in simple terms and then when we're in off piste as they call it which is like open dunes where you're not on a four by four track or a designated like gravel road you just follow the compass heading until the next note if you're the first bike on the route the bikes always set off first in the race and then it's the cars and then the trucks so if you're the first bike and it's a stage where you've got maybe a four or five hundred kilometer stage and maybe a hundred kilometers of it is in the dunes you've just got this like clean desert to ride through you don't really want to start in front on a day where there's a lot of sand dunes wherever you go you draw a line in the sand so the guy behind you kind of pushes quite a lot to your line and kind of cross checks his navigation as opposed to being completely on the navigation so yeah, it becomes a bit strategic, the race in, in those sandy days, for sure. And it can be won or lost, because I remember there was one year where Toby Price, who's one of your KTM teammates, he ended up getting lost and it cost him the competition. So it is really hard, right? Yeah. As a rider, like you can always ride faster than you can navigate because you can you know ride into the lines and hope that the other guys have gone the right way. But the navigation part is a huge, huge part because you can be riding as fast as you want, but if you're going the wrong way, it's for nothing. In 17, I got the lead on day five of a 12-day race. And I remember coming into day 10 and the stage was looking like really difficult navigation, was going to be a bit chaos. You know, in the briefings, they were like, it's going to be really rough tomorrow to find the way. And imagine with having had a 25-minute lead, which sounds a lot, but it can be gone in uh you know one turn up the wrong riverbed and it becomes quite stressful to try and manage the navigation side because it's like trying to play a chess match where you need to be calm cool and collected and make smart decisions but at the same time you're racing through the desert and trying to read the terrain as fast as you can so yeah the stress certainly uh creeps on up when you've got the lead and you know a bit of weight on your shoulders this is beyond the ordinary As we mentioned right at the start of the podcast, men and women actually compete against each other in the Dakar. Ain't that right, Kaz? Yeah, as with other forms of motorsport, it's not segregated by gender. To date, only one female has ever won their Dakar category outright, and that was the German driver, Jutta Kleinschmidt. She won the car class in 2001, but there's another woman who's become a biking legend of the Dakar and is challenging for those top place finishes, and that's Laia Sands. There are few women who have achieved as much as Laia has in this gruelling event, having completed every Dakar that she has started, which not even Sam can boast. And Laia frequently finishes top of the females, as well as finishing in ninth place overall in 2015. I caught up with Laia straight off the back of testing in Dubai and asked her how her prep for the Dakar was going. Yeah, I'm I'm fine. Uh, it's been... Tough year for everybody, but for me it's been really tough because uh, I had Lyme disease. Yeah, I've been struggling a lot and and uh, it was really uh, tough times for me, but now I'm happy to be back on the bike. I mean, there's not many people that would say, 
I've had Lyme disease, but now I'm training for the Dakar 2021. Yeah, of course. And um, yeah, now it's not a long time until Dakar. And I just started riding in, in Dubai last week. So as you can imagine, my preparation is not perfect, but I, I will try to, to do my best. And I hope to feel uh, better and better and to be at least healthy during Dakar. Well, let's talk about the Dakar. Is th- I mean, I think this is your 11th Dakar. Is that right, this year? <laughs> yeah. And you've completed all of them. Yeah, always. So what is it about the Dakar that makes you keep coming back year after year? I don't know, because when you are there, you sometimes you ask yourself what I'm doing here. So sure, there is something that makes us to come back and to love this race and this crazy race and really tough race. And I think it's it has something special. Some uh, It's not only racing, it's also an adventure. And, and also it's a different atmosphere from other races. Uh, all riders um, more or less uh, help each other. And this is something really special. And then, uh, of course, it's a big challenge and make you push... Uh, more than your limits and I don't know uh, but we we all come back and we are all in in love with with this race because you've had a really tough few years in 2018 you were struck down with quite a bad virus 2019 you seriously injured your tibia and this year Lyme disease on top of a global pandemic what motivates you to keep going when you are forced to have so much time out what keeps you motivated? I think it's because I love so much what I do. Um, yeah, the last three years has been really tough, especially mentally, because yeah, I want to, to ride, to do sport, especially with this limb disease. It's, it's been really tough. I wanted to do so many things and, and I couldn't. My body was not following my, my mind and this has been really tough. But I, I think my big motivation is that I really love what I do and I feel really lucky to write every day when I'm when I'm healthy and and this is my job so I I do what I love as a job and it's my my motivation. Well you know that there aren't that many sports where men and women compete against one another directly do you like that the Dakar is one of those unique sports where it's a level playing field for everyone? I like uh, and also of course I fight to do a good result in overall, there is also a female class, but my goal is always to be good on the overall standings. And it's nice that also if there is a female class, everybody does the same uh, stages, same case, uh, with the same bikes or cars. So everybody is with the same tools and this is something really nice and you are competing against everybody. And But I think that biggest opponent in a Dakar is yourself so this is the same for everybody it doesn't care if you are a man or a woman this is a question that everybody always asks me uh, how is to be a woman in Dakar because it's very tough and I always answer it's tough but it's for everybody men and women how much is it down to preparation you know maybe more so for women when it comes to preparing the body physically for the endurance element of the Dakar? Yeah, of course, uh, we are different and we have different physical conditions. 
and we have less strength and less endurance. And this is um, real. It's not that uh, women cannot do things, but uh, I've always during my life, I think I had always to work a little bit more to be in the level. And I think this gives me a lot of discipline and motivation. And it's something that now is helping me a lot. It's not about being a, a woman or a man. I think it's more about how you are, uh, your personality, your education, your experience in life. Your, I think it's it's more about that than I'm not like this because I'm a woman, and it's just because I'm like this. It's my character. Let's go right back to the beginning for a second, because when you first started racing, there weren't many other women in the sport. Is that right? So have you seen that change? And I guess, would you advocate for more women to get into rallying, particularly the Dakar? Yeah, when I started racing in, in Trial, I was always the only one. And uh, women Trial doesn't exist at that time. But now I'm really proud seeing so many young girls riding trials. And I think it's something that I, I help and I feel really proud uh, about that. And also uh, Enduro is growing, trial is growing, the level is increasing a lot. And and maybe in rally, the change is coming later because it's it's so tough. But for the future, I think much more girls will come and for sure with a grid level. And Dakar is a bit different, isn't it? Because there's a real sense of camaraderie among the competitors, almost like a family a bit. Tell us what that's like. Is it more supportive amongst the women because there's less of you or is it the same with the male competitors as well? I mean, it's not every race that you see a rider crash and then the next rider stops to help them out. Yeah, I think it's all of us. It's not between uh, girls. It's all the riders help each other because... At the end, your your life can be in hands on of other riders. Of course, when there is a a, a crash, the first to arrive there is is another rider. So you need to stop and to help, of course. And it's something really nice, no? Because can happen between uh, riders that they maybe are fighting for a victory. And also, when uh, you have a mechanical problem, or you are you run out of well, somebody help you because at the end, the day after you can be the one you need help. So it's always like that. And it's something really special uh, in this race. Despite the setbacks of 2020 and also the interruption to your training as a result of the Lyme disease, what is your aim for Dakar 2021? Uh, I I really don't, don't know this year. Usually my goal is to be top 15. Um, but but I know this year I'm not well prepared, so I will go there and see what happened because also I don't know how my body will will be after so many months uh, resting. I didn't ride the rally bike since since last Dakar, and and I don't know how my body will react. And yeah, Dakar is always really tough. Also, if you are healthy, so I don't want to imagine how it will be for me this year. So. I don't want to put too much pressure on a result. I just want to be there at the start line and then and then see what, what happened. And for someone who's listening to this and has never really followed the Dakar before, can you sum up what it means to you in just three words? 
it's I should uh, say in one word because it's it's my life uh, it's it's all my life it's around Dakar because I spend all the year preparing Dakar and and it's the main goal I I'm working just for for this is the goal of the year and and yeah and also it gives me so many friends and and experiences and I think it it changed my life a lot so yeah I would say this is my life this is beyond the ordinary. Laya Sands there. She's always really lovely to talk to, but she's a fierce competitor, isn't she, Sam? She's unbelievable. You know, I've seen her come back from stages where she's had a huge crash and she's got sore this or an injured that or a concussion and she's so strong in her head. It's really inspiring and um, she's a really nice girl as well. You know, she's super down to earth and she's really impressive. So Sam, you know, we've spoke about what it's like to actually take part in the Dakar, but what about the build up to it? You know, do you have to be, you know, in the gym? The thing that a lot of people will compare this to because it's the most well known is Formula One and Formula One drivers always talk about having to be physically fit. Yeah, certainly you can compare it to, you know, the Formula One guys where they're pulling so many G-forces and their body's going under all these stresses. But at the same time, as you compare it to that, ours is 12 days back to back. So mm. and sort of it's kind of a, a reference between that and the Tour de France somewhere in the middle, you know, because the day-to-day fatigue builds up, you know, it's like snowballing. Maybe you'll be all right for the first day, the second day. But as you start getting into day 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and, you know, they just announced the route for this year and we've got a few five, 600-kilometer special stages so the fitter and stronger you are, the more well recovered you are for the following day. Yeah, I guess it's like the difference between literally, you know, Mo Farah and, and the distance that he does. And I don't know, Usain Bolt or something, you know, like those guys have a different training regime to the long distance guys. And I guess that's a way that you can maybe compare it. I don't know. Yeah, it's true a bit. But the, the thing that's hard is like the day after day, you just get tired. And like, if you think to yourself, if you had a, a heavy weekend, it was one of your mate's birthdays and then you know, Monday morning comes around and you're not quite as fresh as you should be. It's like <laughs> absolutely that. When you start getting into day 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, the alarm goes off and you're like, right, another day. Come on in, let's, let's go. Like the voice in your head starts to have a little battle back, you know. Well, Sam, we've talked a lot about what this race does to the human body, but it's super punishing on the vehicles too. I want you to take a listen to this. It's an onboard recording from one of the Red Bull cars in 2019. Wow. So, <laughs> so you can hear what it's doing to the car there, Sam, you know, trying to drive over this massive wall of sand. You know, I'm guessing the bikes are a little bit different because they're not quite as heavy as a car. But, you know, just, uh, you know, try to explain to us what it's like. Is it that punishing on your bike? Yeah, certainly. You know, the bikes take such a hard time because it's the temperature, the sandy terrain, honestly, is absolute miracle that, you know, you don't have more mechanicals than, than we do because I remember when I was a kid racing motocross and um, my dad used to like get on to me about not having the bike started up too long before the race because he didn't want to put time on the engine and taking care of it, you know. And now I race the Dakar and I just, the bike is just nonstop all day. And so I, I remember in Argentina sometimes I've just been flat out on the limiter for like 45 minutes and just thinking to myself, 
there's no way that this is going to last, you know. But yeah, it's really a testament to the engineers there at KTM that, you know, do all the testing before the race and uh, get the bike kind of in the best way it can be before the start, for sure. Mm. Sam, I wanted to ask you about injuries because we know that the Dakar, as we've explained, is not just a few hours or a day or two days. It's, you know, a long, gruelling race, so much so that it attracts, you know, Andre Villas-Boas from football has wanted to tick it off his bucket list. So he came and competed. We see the Formula One guys, we see these big names want to come into the Dakar, but it's not easy. It is not easy to finish and it's not easy to finish injury-free. It's a fine line between pushing to win and trying to find the limit of, being as fast as possible, navigating correctly and not crashing. And, you know, it's a little bit of a juggling act. In 2016, I actually missed the Dakar because I'd won a race there in Morocco, which was kind of the biggest race for me outside of the Dakar. And then three days later, I broke my femur. I had to have surgery in this deepest, darkest alleys of Morocco in the middle of the desert in some shady hospital and now my right leg's two centimeters shorter than the left one and you know all these things I went through to come back to fitness to go on and win that next year for me it meant so much like if I brought my Dakar trophy home to you now and dropped it on the side and was like there that's yours now you'd be like oh it's cool it's pretty but it doesn't really mean much to you as such but for me when I look at my Dakar trophy I know all the sacrifice and all that I went through to get it done. And, you know, I feel a huge sense of achievement and pride in it. And I think the Dakar is like so many races all in one. There's the guys that are at the front of the race fighting every kilometer for, you know, for every second to try and be the fastest guy and win. And then in the same tracks and the same stages, the same weather, the same everything, there's guys that are there just to finish you know their goal is just to arrive to the finish each day and you know they they might have raised money through sponsorships or charities to arrive there to go on this big adventure and this huge challenge and you know I remember speaking to this South African guy after I'd won and he told me that his stage overall stage time was three times mine and I just looked at him and thought to myself wow that kind of put it to me like I felt like I went through hell Because in the end, everybody's just doing their best, you know. So he's at his maximum as I was at my maximum. So he's done the same race as me, but three times of it in terms of hours. And I just looked at him with like huge amount of respect because I just couldn't imagine myself going through that, what I did, times three, you know. This is Beyond the Ordinary. Right, okay. Aside from Sam and Liar, Caroline, who are the ones to watch this year? Well, I mean, you're when Sam's on the line and you're asking me, um, I mean, that's terrible. I've got to say the KTM boys because Toby Price, I mean, he won it with a broken wrist. I mean, Toby is definitely one to watch. Sam, of course. I've got to also say in the cars, Peter Hansel, Mr. Dakar. I, I never rule him out because he's just so brilliant. But Sam, you're the expert here. Enough about me. Who do you think are the ones we need to look out for? Um, yeah, I can't comment on the bikes, can I? Because, of course, I want to win myself. Um, <laughs> I love that. Love that. Forget everybody else. They're terrible. Me. <laughs> no, no. Certainly, we've got a lot of competition. And um, Honda won this year. So they ended the 17-year win streak of KTM. So definitely gunning to get that back. 
So hopefully one of the KTM boys, if not me. And in the cars, there's, like you say, Mr. Dakar himself, Stefan Pitterhansel. I don't know how many he's won. Like I speak to him at Red Bull events and sometimes he comes out with these numbers and I'm just like, I don't think I was even born then. You know, like he's really unbelievable. And I don't know how old Carlos Sainz is, but I feel like he's been around forever. And, you know, his son's racing Formula One now, so it must mean he's, he's getting on a bit. <laughs> and so like you say, the Dakar is the extreme race. It's crazy. It's gnarly. It's so many days. It's hot. It's, you know, all the rest of it. And, you know, he's won. And I think in the cars, definitely the experience comes into play during these long stages. And it's going to be really cool to watch, you know, as much as I'm racing, I want to win myself. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Carlos Sainz. He's actually 58. Uh, we've done the research. Um, he's the defending champ. So let's hear from him now. The Dakar is one suit per year. So you are working the whole year and you have one opportunity. One mistake, you are out. Then it's a great challenge, you know, it's a challenge for the team, a challenge for the cars, a challenge physically, a challenge driving. You know, when you finish the, the race, you respect everybody a lot because you know what the others has been going through and, and I think that makes this race uh, a great challenge for, for everybody. Either you like it, the, the Dakar, or you hate it. I think many people try and say, this is, you know, this is totally crazy, this is not for me. But when you are facing a, a strong and a difficult challenge, I think it brings the best from everybody in, in a team, in a, in a professional, in an amateur. That's why the amateurs, they love when they finish, because it is, it is not easy. I think the, the Dakar is difficult to, to say in one wall, but a crazy challenge, I will say. Of course, I believe we can have a chance of, of winning again, but I know it's, it's not going to be easy. I think I can do 15 more, but <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm joking, of course. So, Sam, as we heard there, Dakar, a really tough race to win. Even tougher, though, to defend your title. Tell me about that, because, you know, you're still trying to get that second title and it's eluded you so far, isn't it? Yeah, certainly. I don't know how much you think about it at the start. Like definitely when I won in 17, I went to 18 with number one on the bike. So everybody's in some way gunning for you. But on the other hand, the Dakar and, and the rally discipline is a little bit different. Like it's not quite the same as racing each other on the same track, doing laps and laps. And you can like block past somebody or come flying down the inside into a corner as you would in F1 or MotoGP. It's more about like your best effort and your best stage time against somebody else's. So sometimes you have a good day and you arrive to the finish and, you know, if Toby beat me, I, I'm like, I share a camp with Toby. I'm like, you did a good day today. Like, nice work, dude. And I'll try and do it tomorrow. So, yeah, you've definitely got a lot of camaraderie amongst the guys. And, you, you know, it's always hard to repeat, isn't it? Because the first time you're always just that big target of number one. You know, and kind of like during the race, when you're leading, you've got something to lose. And when you're even just second, you're only thinking about win, 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 win. And as soon as you're leading, you think about how not to lose it. So it's quite difficult to stay focused and clear headed and, uh, you know, put in a good performance. And Sam, what are you most looking forward to about the Dakar 2021 race because I know that for so long it was in South America which was completely different terrain it felt 
to Saudi? Yeah, for me, like, for one, this huge adventure, the sporting side, which I love also, the competition side, there's a lot of things I look forward to. And definitely um, last year I broke my back on day five after I was going pretty well. I feel like a sense of uh, I need to get a bit of redemption and really looking forward to getting into the dunes of Saudi. So looking forward to the dunes for sure. I just can't get over when, you know, part of this podcast, you know, we're speaking to so many amazing people doing amazing things. And, you know, when when you athletes just drop in, you know, I broke my back on day five, you know, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Like it's just like you've stubbed your toe. I just can't get over it. Yeah, it comes with the territory in some ways. You know, like I said before, you're always pushing the limit between riding fast but not too fast and I think when you mix in the fact that you're always coming over new terrain and trying to judge what might be there you know for so long and so many hours there's so many factors that come into play but yeah it can quite easily go wrong and um kind of comes with the territory a little bit I absolutely can't wait to get out there now Sam thank you so much for joining us and sharing so many wonderful stories no worries it's been cool to uh, tell you a few and hopefully I can tell you a few more in the future yeah and all the best for what is set to be another epic race in January mate it's been lovely speaking to you thank you very much Right, the best way for you to follow all this year's action is to catch the Dakar Daily Show every day from the preview show on the 2nd of January right the way through to the final day of racing. You can catch it exclusively on Red Bull TV and you'll hear a familiar voice on there. Yes, that's right. I'll be in Saudi Arabia reporting on the Dakar rally this year. I'm really excited because each year it's a completely new, different adventure. Just like Sam said, it just throws so many things at you and I can't wait. But there's also also a web series coming up on Red Bull TV and it's all about the manufacturer's KTM so make sure that you check that out as well on Red Bull TV or on Red Bull Motorsports YouTube channel there's lots of stuff on there clearly right I'm genuinely excited to follow it this year and I really hope this podcast uh, has whet your appetites as well yeah definitely drop us a review if you enjoyed this Dakar special and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of the amazing episodes that we've got coming up we are literally covering it all on beyond the ordinary sport adventure gaming dance you name it we got it right here so until next time take care and we'll catch you soon